Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Shall we? Shall we study the word of God together? Okay. Um, so, the, the context of chapter 9 and 10 is the idea that we ought to learn how to prefer, to prefer the weak. Christians are supposed to approach the weaker brethren, and, and, and clearly the lost are weak because they're still yet lost in their sins. There's a way in which we are to... Pro, uh, uh, there's a fly. Okay. I was like, what is, what is tickling my arm? It's a fly. Uh, there's a way in which we ought to approach the, the weak in this world, that we're supposed to posture ourselves. We are supposed to prefer them over ourselves. All right? And that's a principle that we're learning from this chapter, how to put the needs of others over the needs of ourselves so that the work of the gospel is not diminished in any way whatsoever. In today's sermon, we will see how the gospel ministry strategically works itself out in Paul's life. And what he's learned in terms of establishing what we're going to call relational evangelism. Okay, everybody with me so far? Now, as a church, I believe, especially as, a, as, a, as Kaya, as a ministry, I believe that we are, we are an evangelical group of people. Right? And by that, I mean that we find it important. We find it of necessity even. That we share the truth of the gospel claims with other people that they might know the beauty of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, and that they might come to a saving knowledge of who he is, right? We, want, we desire, as a people, to see other people come under the forgiveness of Jesus, give their lives to him, and then live in that victory as a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that what we desire? Yeah? That's what gets us excited. Now, now here's the deal. The danger of this kind of work, when it's done in our flesh is that, that the Great Commission, as we call it, can often become transactional. All right? and, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is that this desire to evangelize and bring the gospel to other people can in our flesh become like selling a commodity. Right? Where, where the relationships that we have with people are so contingent on closing the deal that we often neglect the hard work that's required of us principally from Scripture. And what, and what we'll do in that is we will, with a, with a desire to, to spread the gospel and to be evangelical, we can actually fail to prefer the weak. Right? We, we can put our objective, right, and our, and our determination above the preferential treatment that we're supposed to, to, to approach other people with as we present the gospel. And so what we need to understand is that our personal strategy of sharing our faith must be wrapped up in building genuine friendships with people. And in order to build these kinds of relationships, we need to learn how to prefer others over ourselves. So today, and uh, as well as the next sermon that we have together, here's the question that we're going to ask ourselves. Is my personal life optimized for preaching the gospel? 
Now, we talked about last week when we were together this idea that we need to be critical of self, right? Uh, that's the power of God's word, right? Is that is it allows us, when we look at it, to assess where we stand in light of the truth claims within it, right? And so we ought to look at God's word and then consider our ways. We ought to consider our ways. And the question for us right now is, as we consider our ways, is our personal lives as Christians, as believers, are they optimized? Are they built out in such a way that optimizes our ability to share the gospel? All right, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love your word. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, this group of people. And there's, there's no, in my opinion, no better people on the face of the earth than the people that I get to spend my time with on Sundays and Tuesdays, worshiping your name, praising you. And uh, Lord, we value uh, this time a lot. And, uh, and so we want to ask that you would superintend it, that you would guide it, that you would be with us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would, that we would honestly be able to consider our ways. And uh, Lord, I also want to pray because, you know, every time we come together like this on Sundays, there's always people that I don't know. There are, there are people that are coming to see what this is about. Um, there are people always that are here, they're, they're, they're church shopping, or maybe they're in town visiting, or maybe they've been invited by a friend or a family member, and they're here. They find themselves here with us. And so, God, I pray for them. Uh, I pray that, Lord, uh, as they leave this place today, that they too, just like the rest of us, would have to consider where they stand in light of who you are, and that they would have to, to, to look into the face of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and ask themselves, where do I stand? Uh, do I follow him? Do I desire to follow him? What is my life? And so, God, I, I pray that you would help people to ask those questions today and that you would teach them from your word, that we would all be the better for it and conform to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 19, verse 19. For though I be free from all men... Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Let's begin by uncovering our, our motivations, okay? That's what we're going to look at first here today. Within our generation, there is a prevailing culture of fear, Fear specifically of relenting control of our lives to someone else, to something else. In the Bible, this concept is referred to as submission, right? The idea that we are supposed to yield ourselves to the authorities within our life. And this idea is, is, is disdained in our culture today. The idea that one would voluntarily subjugate themselves to another person is despicable in our world. That idea is, is, is contemptuous in a contemporary world. In fact, one of the marks 
of secular society is that our compliance is a mark of weakness. And that the greater good, right, the greater good of our society, of our world, of our country, is contingent on each person's willingness, willingness and their determination to doggedly pursue what they believe belongs to them. In other words, somehow the greater good of all people relies upon whether or not each of us as individuals pursues our own happiness. And if we can do that, if we, if we wholeheartedly pursue the desires of our individual hearts, that somehow it'll make for a better society and everyone will be happy. And biblically speaking, that is just not true. As many of you know, in Revelation chapters 1 through 3, we're given a list of churches along with descriptions of their personal character, both for good and for bad, okay? You guys are familiar with this, right? In Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Now, in 2022, we have the benefit of retroactive perspective, okay? That means we can look back on this passage and we can see a prophetic fulfillment of these churches in terms of church ages throughout history. Okay, so, so here's the deal. We have the benefit as, as Christians in 2022 to look at Revelation chapter 1 through 3. And we can see ourselves within the contents of those character qualities of those churches, right? And the very last of the churches listed is the church of Laodicea, which has come, come in time to illustrate for us in our contemporary church age a very disappointing a dis- very disappointing reality. Okay, so when we look at Revelation chapter three, uh, chapter three, I think it's up on the screen if you want to take a look at it. When we look at this passage, we can't but help see ourselves like looking into a mirror and discover just how ugly our church age is, the one in which we live. We can't help it. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to be lukewarm. It's not a good thing to not be able to see ourselves the right way. We look at our lives, we fail to assess who we are, honestly, and we look at ourselves and we think everything is okay. God's at work, right? Is I think he is. And we're so, we're so comfortable and so content where we stand, we don't even know that, that we are, are naked and we are poor, and we are wretched, and we are, we are blind. We, we don't even know it. But that's who we are as the church in 2022. Now, we know that the, the, the word, many of you have studied scripture, know that the, the word Laodicea means rights of the people. And it's no coincidence that in this very last church age, that we are more concerned with our individual rights as people than anything else. If church doesn't serve us the way we want to be served, if our Christianity doesn't fit within the comfort of our lives, then we just brush it off. We just move on. Everything is optional. Everything is negotiable. So why is it important for us to understand this ugly reality about who we are? Okay, here's, here's the first thing that I need you to see. Because it is not possible 
for a Christian to retain a strict devotion to personal rights and simultaneously prefer others over self. It's not possible for a Christian to be, to be focused, to be determined to achieve all of their goals and desires and passions in this life. And yet, and yet, simultaneously prefer other people over self. There is going to be a conflict. There is going to be a tension. You might say to yourself, well, why can't I make it work? I mean, other Christians seem to be doing it. Other Christians seem to have everything that they want. They still go to church every Sunday. They still do the things that they think are right in this world. They still appear to be good. Why can't I hungrily pursue the things I want in this world and yet still be devoted in my faith? Okay, now here's the deal. Devoted is the, is the optimal word. See, there's a dichotomy that exists within a biblical worldview. Two, two realities that create tension with one another. And the first one is this. Okay, the first one's this. A humanist reality is where one seeks comfort and personal reward exclusively. In this view, it sees spiritual devotion as an impediment to liberty and success. That's a humanistic, secular world view. And all of us as Laodiceans have this perspective in our lives, creating tension. Right? You're going to college, you're paying good money. Right? No loan forgiveness is going is to fix everything. I mean, you've spent time and money and energy on getting a career that you desire. You're actively looking for a job. You want to find a job. You're working your way up the career ladder. You're trying to establish a family for yourself. You want to marry somebody that's hot. Oh, yeah, and also loves Jesus. That too. You're trying to marry somebody that you're attracted to, have a family, right? We have, we have these objectives and we pursue these things so wholeheartedly. Listen to me. It creates a tension. It creates a tension against our Christian faith. The other view, a biblical reality, where one seeks furtherance of the gospel first and foremost. And in this view, while personal comfort, comfort and worldly success are not bad, it's not required. Right? In the biblical reality, what we understand is the very first thing, the very first priority, the very first passion of our lives is to pursue Christ and his word and to live out his mission. And everything else is, is, is just analogous and optional to that one main thing. Now this humanist secular view and this biblical reality in the heart of every Laodicean, they come in conflict with each other. They rub up against each other. They fight against each other. And we as individuals have to determine what's going to win out. Within these two realities, we find a great deal of tension in our church and in Kaya even. But listen to me, but when we look at the Christian who's torn between these two, two realities, what, what do we discover? What do we discover be, that is, be, becomes the determining factor of which side of this battle wins? 
What's the, what's the one determining factor that determines whether or not this humanist secular side of you, your fleshly side, or the spiritual side of you, this biblical view, wins out? What is the determining factor? It comes down to one thing, and Paul's going to reveal it to us right now. It's motivation. Motivation. What are your life's motivations? Look at what Paul says, verse 19. For though I be free from all men. Okay, now he knows that he's free from the judgment of anybody. He's saved. He has the knowledge of God's word. He knows what, are, what is right and what is wrong. He's been liberated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he does not stand in condemnation or judgment from any person. He knows that he is free. Amen? Free in grace. For though I be free from all men, yet... Have I made myself servant unto all? Why? Here's the motivation. Why would someone live that way? That I might gain the more. That I might gain the more. So on one hand, Paul sees that he's free from the judgment and control of mankind, and yet he makes himself a servant to those same people. Why? To gain them. To win them. To draw them in. Galatians 5.13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. Others over self. 2 Corinthians 4.5 says. For we preach not ourselves. But Christ Jesus the Lord. That is the primary objective. And ourselves. Your servants, why? For Jesus' sake. But why, why, why? What drives him to this type of thinking? What drives the Apostle Paul to this kind of thinking? What is his motivation? It is a pure and unrelenting obsession with soul winning. It's the obsession of his life. It drives him in every way. His heart is given wholly to the pursuit of more people coming into the faith and believing in Jesus Christ. This is the motivation of the church. This is it. This is who we are. Key point. Key point. A Christian who hears God's heart is motivated by his mission. Now here's the problem. Not many Christians are listening to the heart of God. And that's why they become Laodicean. Right? That's why they become self-focused. That's why they become lukewarm, is because they're not listening to the heart of God. Now they might be listening to pastors and talking heads and people. Right? They might be coming to church. They might be involved in activity that seems spiritual. Listen to me. Why are we the church of Laodicea? Why are we the church of the rights of the people? Because we're not listening to the heart of God. But what happens? What happens if we turn our ear to the truth of the Bible? And what if the words there within become our primary focus? And, and what if, what if we fall in love not with the idea of Jesus, but with his very words? 
what happens? Well, we become like him. And the mission that he ascribes for our life, we own it. We take ownership for it. And we become motivated by it. So much so that when we wake up in the morning, we think to ourselves, God, would you give me opportunity to speak your truth to someone today? And we know that that winning souls is God's heart because Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. See, we know God's heart on the matter, don't we? God is in the business of conversion. We don't like that word, do we? That's become another word that's like politically incorrect. Let me tell you real quick, unabashedly, that my primary objective is to convert souls. That's what I'm given to. Converting people, listen to me. You can hear that however you want. When I say conversion, what I mean is is through the gospel, deliver people from darkness to light. Now I know, I know in Laodicea, you know, the, the devil is the angel of light, right? So there's a confusion about what's dark and what's light. There's a confusion, and he, well, he likes it that way. He likes it to be confusing. My objective in this life is to take the sword of God's word and divide out the difference between dark and light so that people can see it clearly. That's what I do. Why? So that they can be converted from what was once confusing, the darkness. They could be converted from that darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. No qualms about it. That's what I do. Why? Well, because God says that's wise. That's what I do because it's wise. So what, what, what we have here, what we're describing, is a different kind of Christianity than what many of us are used to. It sounds radical. You sound so radical. A radical dude. I say I grew up in the 90s where radical used to be like, that. you use the word radical and the word dude in every other sentence. <laughs> Paul describes this Christian as someone who makes themselves a servant. A servant, which is a radical thought. A person who's a soul winner is a servant. A servant to who? A servant to God first. Second Corinthians, we just read this. A servant to God first and a servant to man second. We, we serve people. This is a Christian who does not have time for frivolity and excess. They don't have time for that. The work of preaching the gospel and studying God's word have taken precedence. It's a radical kind of Christianity. No doubt about it. Now we're not talking about, we're not talking about asceticism, right? Which is this idea that you, you become like a holy monk, right? right? And you have to walk around in sackcloth and ashes, right? Completely devoted you know, and, and that, that your whole life, if you're not perfect in the way that you act and behave and you don't follow God's word to a T, that you're somehow wicked or whatever, okay? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about denying any pursuit of entertainment or joy that we can find in this world. Look, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of thing in this world, things in this world that can bring us joy, and, not, and they're not bad things. So we're not talking about divorcing yourself from anything that feels good, okay? What we're talking about is choosing to live in such a way 
where Jesus Christ is the main thing. We're talking about discovering that human flourishing is a lesser good than human salvation. We're talking about a Christian, a person who learns that the priority of their life is the work of obeying God and winning souls. And when this transformation, when this discovery begins to take hold in your maturing process as a believer, you begin to discover that your life becomes incredibly pliable. Becomes pliable. And everything in your life, everything in your life becomes negotiable in order to accommodate your passion for pursuing souls. Okay, so here's our key point, and then I'll give you an illustration to help make this a little bit more clear. Key point, for the soul winner, for the soul winner, sacrifice is a joy and a natural occurrence. Okay, it's a joy for you to sacrifice things from your life, to give things up, to not do the thing that you wanted to do. It's a joy to do that. And not only that, it's a natural occurrence. In other words, you don't get your way often, daily even. Because you are choosing to prefer others over yourself. In my house, I have three kids. I don't ever get to do anything I want to do. Yesterday was my birthday, okay? And in my flesh, I was like, I want to kick back. I want to, I want to watch movies. I want to do nothing, right? But you know what? Those, those little boogers, because I love them so much, the afternoon, I spent doing the things that they wanted to do. And I, I, here's the deal. I loved it. It was my joy, right? Because I discovered that my, my flesh and the flourishing of self is less important than preferring other people, right? Let me, let me give you an illustration of this idea of sacrifice. As a kid, I played basketball, Okay? I still occasionally try to play basketball. I just regret it for a week afterwards. Okay? But as a kid, I played basketball all the time. So I, I woke up in the morning to go get ready for school, and I would go down to my, my friend Steven's house and wait for the bus there. Now, if I got there early enough, we could shoot around before the bus came. Right? The bus would start coming down the street. We'd throw his basketball in the backyard, and we'd jump on the bus, and we'd, we'd, play, we'd play basketball. for We'd try to get 20 minutes in. Okay? During the day... Okay, doing schoolwork, whatever, whatever. Okay, get on the bus, back to Stephen's house, more basketball. Friends come over, pick up games, ensue. We do that till dark. That's right, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> Go home, okay? That, this is what I did on the weekends. This is what I did. We, we played all the time. We played all the time. Everything else was just what we did when we weren't playing basketball. Everything else that we did was just how we busied ourselves when we weren't playing basketball. See, this is the perspective of the soul winner. You hold the gospel in such high esteem that everything else you do in life just naturally conforms itself. It's just, that's just stuff that you do. And all of those things naturally conform themselves to the necessity of the work of preaching the gospel. Does that make sense? 
Not only do the arrangements and the prerogatives of your life begin to adapt to preaching the gospel, so does how you see yourself in light of other people. So that leaves us with some questions, okay? Ready for some questions? All right, let's bring it, bring it, bring it in a little bit. Where am I in terms of my motivations? I mean, let's start here, just for a second. Let's back up one step. Do you believe in heaven and hell? I mean, if we're checking our motivations, the word of God is very clear on this matter, okay? If you're a Bible believer, you believe in a heaven and a hell, okay? Then you also believe that while hell was originally determined for those fallen angels who rebelled against God, that because of sin brought into this world, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, humanity has now made themselves susceptible to hell. That's their natural state. Is that, 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 that is their natural destiny in this world. Now, the only way to avoid that is to receive Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, mind you, to receive him at the terms of the gospel message. Now, knowing that, knowing that that's the message that saves the world and delivers people from hell and into heaven and eternity with Christ, okay, what are your motivations in life? Now ask that question again. What are your motivations in life? Could anything else be more important than delivering people from eternal damnation? Let me tell yourself that. Uh, What do you think? What are your motivations? What is is winning the battle in terms of time, energy, and resources? What's winning that battle? And how you devote your time, how do you in, 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 use your energy, and how you use your resources. What's winning the battle? What are you investing those things in? And, and the last question, you know, if you can say, I desire, I desire to be a, a soul winner. I desire for my energy and resources to be poured into this work. Then the next question would naturally be, is, is my life pliable in order to facilitate the work of soul winning ministry? Is my life flexible enough? Or have you cornered yourself by building out a construct that is so self-focused? Have you cornered yourself into only focusing on you? Okay, so here's the good news. When we start working through this, um, you know, it's always helpful for us to see how this manifests itself in someone's life. And Paul is going to show us how this servanthood this preferring the weak, this, this devotion, this motivation of, of gaining the lost, how it works itself out in his life and how his life has become pliable. He's going to make things really practical for us. So he explains to us exactly what his strategy in soul winning is and how he adapts socially and culturally to his environment. Let's start again in verse 20. And now under the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jew. Okay, we're talking about gaining souls and winning souls. He's saying, look, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, right, the law of the Old Testament, as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. So, so first of all, Paul is ethnically a Jew. Okay, he's ethnically a Jew. So becoming like a Jew 
shouldn't be that difficult for him, right? You read it like, oh, that'd be hard, real hard. You are Jewish. But okay, but here's the deal. He was previously also a Jew by religion, by belief, by ideology, by tradition, by philosophy, right? His conceptual framework used to be Jewish by religion as well. But when he came to understand who Jesus Christ was and he gave his life to Christ, that whole dynamic in terms of the way that he, he thinks got flipped upside down. And over the last two decades, at the point in which Paul's writing this, he has become a Christian. He is no longer a Jew by faith, right? So now when he faces an opportunity to minister to a lost Jew, he has to make conscientious choice to become like a Jew. Now what does that mean? Does he, is he talking about recanting his faith in Christ? No, 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 no. He's becoming like a Jew culturally. See, he's, he's choosing to honor the law. That's what it says here, right? Right? For those who were under the law became, became he as under the law. So he's, he's choosing to honor the law as though he was under it. He has to readapt. He has to choose to see their culture and their traditions and say, okay, I've got to put myself under those things. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Because he's a fake? Because he's a poser? Because he's manipulative? No. He did it because he hoped that he might win souls. That he might win the Jews that were, were still under the law. Let's continue on. We're going to come back to these concepts here in a minute. 21. To them that are without law as without law. Who is that? That's the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles are without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Okay? Now, he's not, he's not saying, well, now I have complete license to sin and do it. No, I'm still under, I'm so bridled by grace in Jesus Christ and the conviction of the Spirit that I might gain them that are without the law. So what about, the, about these Gentiles? Okay? Just like the church in Corinth, it was comprised primarily of Gentile people, right? We're talking about Gentiles, people, people who have no biblical background whatsoever and have, who have many disparate forms of worship, worshiping different gods. You go from one city to the next, they're worshiping different gods, different perspectives, different ideas. Gentiles, man, Gentiles in terms of, of, of pagans, Gentiles in terms of godlessness, Gentiles in terms of, of different kinds of culture, right? The majority of the world it was Gentile, and he was saying, look, I'm willing to become like the Gentile people. Why? Why is he willing to take on their manners and traditions and, and learn from their cultures? Why? That he might win souls. That he might win souls. Verse 22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And so Paul, mighty in his knowledge of God's word, strong in his liberty and freedoms in Christ, chooses to condescend, chooses to lower himself, chooses to prefer others over himself. 
Now, here's the thing that's really interesting about this, okay? We read this, we're like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. That was Paul's approach. Now, to, to some of the audience that he was writing to, the more affluent, there was many affluent people in the church in Corinth. What he's saying right here would have been a, a true offense to the upper class. They would have heard this and thought, what are you talking about? There's no way that I would lower myself and adapt my life in, in order to honor others. Listen, that's just a cultural faux pas. Like I am of a certain class, I'm of, of a certain type, and it would be uncouth for me to lower myself, okay, to, to, to that, that station in life. I, I'm, I'm unwilling to adapt. My, so this would have sounded offensive. This is countercultural for Paul to talk this way. But nonetheless, Paul was deter, determined to do whatever was necessary in order to draw all people to the terms of the gospel with the hope that he might, this is the thing, it's like the, the hope that he might win some. Like there's not even any guarantee, right? Like if he didn't win a single person, he would still live this way. Why? Because he's a fisher of men. That's all he knows. So whether the fish bite or not, he's on the lake fishing because he's a fisher of men. 1 Corinthians 10.33, he says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Here's the next key point. For the soul winner, for the soul winner, listen, the cultural and social elements of our lives should adapt for the sake of engagement with souls. Okay? Now I'm going to give you four principles Four principles of relational gospel, relational gospel ministry. And they're going to revolve around learning how to adapt our lives in such a way that we put souls over ourselves. Now, before we get into that, I want to give a quick illustration that came to mind. Now, as a ministry, Kaya is devoted to college and young adults. Okay? Right? College and young... Now, listen to me. I just, I just turned 40. I am no longer... A young adult. That ship has long sailed. Now, many of you are also getting older. This is how life works. I don't know if you knew that. Okay? You're aging. You're working your way towards death. Okay? You're getting older. And as you get older, you have to recognize that your life has to adapt towards the people that you're ministering to. All right? Now, there's some of you who are saying to yourselves, you know, I know that in Kaya, it's college adults. We're trying to reach young people, but I get, I'm getting older. Okay, well, we need your wisdom. At the point that we stop reaching the souls of college people, at the point that we stop going to the campuses, at the point that we say, ah, my life can't adapt anymore, is, is, the moment, is the moment this ministry fails. Yeah. See, we've got to choose. Now, now, you might graduate to another ministry in this church, another fellowship class. Maybe you'll be um, a part of a church plant and you'll go out and you'll do something different and that's fine. And, and the audience and the pond that you fish in might change. That's okay. 
all right? But as long as you're in this ministry, it's our objective together to reach college and young adults. And that might require of you some adaptation. And so we want to look at these principles and we want to take them seriously. So here we go. Principle number one is the principle of culture. Principle of culture. Which says we need to be willing to embrace people that are different from us. Some of you guys are real stubborn about that. But you know what's been really good for us? Is that we have this ministry called FOI. And it's forced many of us to recognize that there are other cultures in the world that are different than ours. People that eat different, they act different, they think different. And the question is, are we willing to abide by the the principle of culture where we're willing to embrace embrace people that are different? So Paul in verse 20 says, "He, he went to the Jews and unto the Jews I became as a Jew. And then he says, to them that are without law as without law. He, uh, he was willing to throw himself into those cultural experiences, to surround himself with people that were different than him, and then allow his life to be flexible so that he can learn those cultures. Why? So that he can win souls. This is displayed in Christ's general willingness to speak with and invest his energy and time in publicans and sinners. Listen, listen to this passage. And you know, the feedback on that was not great. You know that, right? Like when Jesus was hanging out with the lowlifes, that didn't go over real well with other religious people. Okay? Jesus didn't care. Why? Because Jesus is a savage. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Listen, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the, in the house, okay, he's with, Levi just got saved, he's following Jesus, okay, listen, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard, because you know that dude hears everything, <laughs> but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there is not, listen, there is no greater cultural difference that exists in the history of mankind than Jesus to your sorry but. Why? Because he's completely righteous. He's completely holy in every regard. You do not deserve audience with the creator of the universe. And yet, we find him here sitting with the scumbags, hanging out with the grimy. Because he understands that if he's going to win these people, then he needs to make some sort of concession that he's got to go to them He's got to sit with them to enjoy their company, to embrace people that were different than him. Now, what we're talking about is refusing to have a discriminatory gospel practice, one that denies those around you that are different. See, the evidence that we're soul winners as a ministry is always going, listen to me, listen to me. The evidence that we are soul winners, Kaya, 
is always going to be the same. Look around, look around. Does our ministry culturally, ethnically, nationally look like Kansas City? Look, there are a lot of black churches. There are a lot of white churches. You got to say it like that. White churches. <laughs> okay? There's lots of those. There are lots of hipster churches. And there are lots of old people churches. Aren't there? Why? Because they don't understand this. See, we, we cannot afford to become a black ministry, to be a hipster ministry, to be a white ministry. We can't afford that. Why? Because our city doesn't look like that. And if we're actively winning souls, then this ministry will look like our city. And we will know, we will know that our ministry is failing the moment that that's not true of us. That makes sense? So if, if Kansas City looks like an array of nationalities and ethnicities and cultures, then our church should reflect that reality. Now here's the question. Are you choosing to love people that are different than you? Are you willing to set aside your personal preference and your judgment in order to engage with people who look, act, and behave differently than you do? Big deal. Principle number two. Principle of compliance. Compliance. Which says that we're willing to know and flex according to our audience. We're willing to know and learn of the audience that we're ministering to, to gain their perspective, and then in turn, flex our life, make our life pliable in order to engage that audience. What's Paul say? He says, to them that are under the law as under the law. And to them that are without law as without law. And to them that are weak, like I'm weak, preferring them over myself, becoming weaker than they. See, Paul was a Jew by ethnicity, but he grew up around Roman, the Roman Empire, right? He was educated by Romans, and he was familiar with all the Greek customs. See, he knew how to adapt, and we can observe his continual adaptation, his willingness to do that over and over again, particularly in Acts. See, an example of this is the fact that the disciple Peter, you know Peter, gotta love Peter, okay? You and I are Peter often. We wanna be like Paul. Sorry. You're a lot like Peter. Why? Why, why, why? Because we also whine a lot. Is why we whine a lot. Now listen, when, when, the, when, the, law, when the law was decimated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the imparting of the Spirit, Peter was told outright, look, bro, you can eat ham sandwiches. I just lost like half the room. They're like, what? No, like, look, 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 we're going to, Jesus is telling Peter, like, look, if we're going to go win the Gentiles, we can't eat like the Jews anymore. And when you sit down with a Gentile, you better eat that ham sandwich and, and don't despise it. Why? Because you don't want to offend them because your objective is to win their soul. And ham sandwiches, okay, versus falafel make no difference to me. 
right? Jesus don't care about that. And so here we have Peter who is unwilling at times, right? We see his unwillingness at times to actually do that. He's like, oh, but it's yucky, right? But Paul is complete, the complete opposite. Paul was like, yeah, man, bacon, pork chops, lay it on me. Right? He wasn't concerned with those things. Why? Why? Because he understood this principle. And this is a principle that almost all missionaries have, have to learn. All of them have to learn it. When you go overseas and you minister on a foreign field, you have to learn this. You've got to move to a new paradigm, a new cultural context, different from your own. And it's important for you to learn to adapt by embracing any cultural norm that isn't sin. We'll come back to that. So many of you may be familiar, uh, um, I've used this illustration before, but with Hudson Taylor, right? Right? The, the missionary from the 18th century who was used mightily to spark a gospel revolution in China. Right? There were no Christian missionaries there. The ones that were there, they were real stuffy apparently. Because when he got there, he dressed like a missionary, right? Which back then was like a black suit, very, very conservative, black tie, right? Probably a beard of some sort. I don't know. I don't know how prudish white men were dressing in the 18th century. Just imagine that guy. And they're going to minister in China. And they were referring to them as, the, as black devils. They were coming to infiltrate their culture. And they called them that because of their black suits. So Hudson Taylor went and he took his suit and he traded it in and he bought the garments and the clothes of a Chinaman. And he cut his hair the way that their hair was cut. And he learned their culture. He dressed the way they dressed. He ate the way they ate. He learned their language. Why? Why? That sounds like a lot of hard work. And what if he doesn't like dumplings? Right? No, he became this way. Why? Well, according to, to Hudson Taylor, missionaries should be men of apostolic zeal, patience, and endurance, willing to be all things to all people. That's an exact quote. This is a principle that almost all missionaries have to learn, and you should learn it too. Why? Because you're a missionary. Why would we do all of this? It's not to be fake. It's not to pacify our audience. This is the work of dying to self so that nothing gets in the way of what's the most important thing. See, Paul remains Paul. Paul's always going to be Paul. He's not lying. He's not posing. He's not posturing. And, 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 and you know, um, he's not being like undermining, patronizing. No. He's being friendly. <laughs> he's taking interest. He's being friendly. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. We're looking for inroads for the gospel. Simple. Here's the question. Are you willing to adapt to cultures that are different from your own? Next thing. You ready? Okay, we're coming. We're flying in. We're landing the plane. You got to hang with me. Okay, stay with me. The next one is this. Principle of conscience. Conscience. Why? Why is this important? Because we can't let compliance offend a holy God. See, God, God put a bridle on this compliance thing that we just got done talking about. He put a bridle on it. 
It's called the Word of God. It's called the Spirit of God. And so here's the thing. The principle of conscience says that, that we know God's will for our lives and we choose not to sin against our conscience or against our conviction. Notice that Paul said in verse 21, to them that are without law, as without law, not, listen, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. What's that mean? It means that he's not foregoing his knowledge of God's word in order to disobey it to win souls. It's not, he's not doing that, but he's under the law of, of Christ, which is grace. Now, what did Christ do? Oh, he went to the publicans and sinners. And under that law, and under that truth, I become like him. Now, this idea of offending the conscience is going to come up again a lot in chapter 10. So we're going to come back to it. But what we need to know for now is that God has given you his word and he's given you a conscience, okay, which is, is quickened by the spirit of God, by the way, so that you know when you have offended God. You know how to not go too far. In other words, if in the process of investing in someone's life, they ask you to do something or to participate in something that in your heart you know is a sin for you to do and to participate in, then you must dismiss yourself in love from that activity. Does that make sense to everybody? So I'm winning souls. I'm out there. I'm rubbing elbows with the lost world, okay? Now, it's real easy to fall prey to the lost world. So we have to listen to the conviction of our heart when they say, do this thing, okay, or go this way, or, or smoke this, or drink that, or speak this way, or act this way, ah, you know in the conviction of your heart that that's too far. That's too far. I'm not going to go that way. So we have to have this because it bridles the compliance part. Trying to win the soul of a sinner by sinning is like trying to catch a fish by attempting to breathe underwater. So you can go, you can go fishing, but you gotta, there's a rule. You gotta stay in the boat. If you try to breathe under the water, you're going to die. And you're not gonna catch any fish. You can't do it. It'd be futile. So don't kill your testimony while trying to establish one. Don't kill your testimony by try, while trying to establish one. And the question for you is this. Are you strong enough in your faith to know when to say yes and when to say no? Are you strong enough in your faith? I mean, we're talking about mingling with the lost world. There's some real freaks out there. All right? It's dark. Some freaky, freaky people. Doing all kinds of weird stuff. Saying all kinds of weird things. You got to know when to say yes and when to say no. How do you know? Well, because this book tells you and because you've got a spirit inside of you that's going to guide you and, and remind you when you've crossed the line. Number four, final one, principle of commitment, which says we need to be willing to stay the course. Look, Paul never gave up on the Jews, which, you know, he never gave up on the Jews. In Acts, I mean, he's like every city he goes into, goes into he, he goes to the synagogue first. Why? Because he loves them. He wants to win them. So he goes there. He adapts to their culture. He preaches the gospel. Paul never gave up on the Gentiles. Never did. I mean, the church in Corinth is a freaking mess, right? I mean, they're a mess. And he still prefers them over himself. He's willing to see that thing to the end. Paul never gave up. 
Even when, even when people seem belligerent and unwilling to listen, argumentative or disagreeable. Galatians chapter six, verse nine says, and let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. See, the problem that we face in the church is that our gospel is ineffectual. It's ineffectual. The world has a system and a method and a strategy in place to secure the destiny of the entire world. See, Satan has a mission, right? You might be trying to win souls. He's trying to lose souls. He's hard at work. See, the world, the world is zealous for the hearts and the minds of your neighbors and classmates. But if we as Bible believers, if we as, as people who say that we're of the book, if we as Christians look at our world and say that we are unwilling and unmotivated to go and to adapt, then we are saying, then we are saying that we are willing to choose uselessness. We are giving up. We are giving up on the people that God wants to win. We're giving up. We're giving up. See, it's people that call themselves Christians that refuse to let go of, of their rights. We, allow our, we, 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 we have to choose rather than holding on tight. We have to loosen up. Look, here's the deal. Okay, in the back of my mind this whole time, I'm thinking, what do the, what do the folks on our Viet, Vietnam team have to do in order to reach those people? I mean, I'm telling you right now, I've eaten at Vietnamese restaurants before. It's all right. I could do that once or twice a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're giving up comfort. They're giving up good jobs. See, they got to give up a lot. Now, you know why they're, you know why they're qualified? That team of people is qualified to go to Vietnam? Because they... They, they started giving up stuff a long time ago. Their life wasn't about them like years and years ago. And the question is, do you see yourself as a soul winner? Are you motivated to obey God in this way, to live the Great Commission? If so, maybe it's time for you to start giving up some stuff. Maybe it's time for you to let go of you a little bit. Maybe it's time to be purposed, to start going and ministering to people that don't look like you, don't, don't act like you. Maybe that would be a good first step. But this is what God's called us to. These are the principles by which Paul abided by, and, and, and they too should be the principles that we abide by. So in closing, Harrison, come on up. Come on up. Okay, so here's the deal. This is how we're going to close. Is everybody still engaged with me? So the first thing is this. Kaya, are we going to win souls? Because listen to me. I'll resign now. I mean, if we're not determined to do that, 
I might, I might as well resign now because that's all I want to do. That's all I'm interested in. Kaya, are we going to win souls? We have to. There's no other thing that we're called to do but to seek and save the lost, disciple them so that they can do the same. That's what we're called to do. If you don't want to do that, then I don't think you get to call yourself a Christian, just to be honest with you. You can call yourself saved, but you don't get to call yourself a Christian from my perspective, from what the word of God says. That's what Christians do. So here's the deal. If you haven't been engaged in that missional work, you need to come up and repent during the invitation. You need to grab a hold of somebody and you, you need to get alone somewhere in the building. You need to sit down and you need to pray and ask that the Lord would do something, shift something, change something in your heart so that you would live to engage in this work. There are also people in the room, no doubt about it, where this whole thing is like crazy. And you know why it sounds crazy? Because you're the fish that we're fishing after. Because you're, you're the individual who does, does not yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never put your faith in him. You've never decided that you're going to give up on you and put everything, and let everything ride on him. Listen, Jesus Christ gave up his throne. And he gave up, he gave up his righteous heavenly realm to come and sit with people just like you. He gave up his life and rose again that you might have salvation. That's unlike any gift that anyone could ever give you. And if you know that you, you're not saved, if you've not been set apart, if you've not given your life to Christ, please, I beg you, listen to your, your conviction. Come forward, grab a hold of someone. There'll be several counselors standing up here. And go repent before the Lord and receive him as your savior. Don't waste, don't, don't waste time. Don't go home and think about it. Listen to me. You know that there's more to life than this. Come find it in the cross. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We're grateful for this time. We're thankful for your word. As we enter into worship, Lord, would you help us to make decisions that look like submission, look like compliance with your word. Help us to obey you. Help us to see you who, for, for who you are and simply obey, say yes, to surrender. Whatever that looks like, whatever that might mean for each individual person, Lord, please draw them out of their seat and help them to do the hard thing. Help them to choose you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.